Well, good evening, and if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to stay there, and as you're, or if you use your phone or whatever you use, I'll also have it on the screen if you want to follow along, but uh, so glad you decided to join us on our Christmas Eve service. It's been a tradition now. We've been doing it for several years, and we're glad to have all the family together, and I know you have some guests from out of town, and, and uh, we just say a great big welcome, and, and, and glad you're here, and, and I, I, I know... You know this, but we are living in A.D. There's, there's two things. There's B.C. and there's A.D. Y'all have heard of that, right? Yes, you have. And, and it splits history right down the middle. You might not believe in the Bible. You not, might not believe in Jesus. You might be struggling with your faith, or you might be fully convinced. Regardless of where you are spiritually, it's known fact that before Christ, Christ came and history was split in two. That our calendar is divided between that event. It, it's a big deal. And, and John kind of gives us the insight into what happens. And so tonight, that's what I want to kind of focus on. B.C., before Christ, and A.D. We like to say it's after death, but it's really Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord, or the year of the Lord's birth. So, so you, when I say A.D., not after death, the year of our Lord. And John kind of, he, he talks about it in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word in this context is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. He's always been there. There was never really a before Christ. There was just, there was, there was a time where Jesus was not yet on earth. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. So in no way am I trying to say that Jesus was created. He's been there since the beginning, but this is, this is portraying before he came to earth. But if you look later on in the verse, John chapter 1, the word Jesus became flesh. He put on a human body, and he made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God with us. This, this is A.D. This is the year of our Lord. This, these, this is the time that, that separates uh, uh, the B.C. from A.D. And we, this is John's testimony because he wrote it. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and so the question this, this evening is I'm trying to answer, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between, between before Christ and the year of our Lord? What's the difference before, between God was, uh, Jesus was the Word and He was with God until He became flesh? Well, again, if you look down at verse 17 in the same chapter, John said, for the law was given through Moses. And this, this, is, this is the difference. This is what changed. The law, again, when I say law, that's B.C., before Christ. So it, before Christ, there was a strict adherence to the law. The only way you could be right with God is if you, you, had, to, you, had, to, you had to act on the law. You had to live by the civil law. You had to live by the moral law, which are the Ten Commandments. You had to live by the dietary laws, which means they just told you when you could eat shrimp or when you had to eat ribs. I don't know. You had to live by all these different laws. You had to celebrate these special holidays. You had to be at church on Christmas Eve. And I'm glad you're here. But before Christ came to earth, their idea was if you didn't come, then you were not a believer and you, you had no part of the kingdom of God. It, it, was, it was all about the law and keeping the law and adhering to the law. And the problem was they couldn't keep it. 
The problem was they kept falling short. And so God set up a sacrificial system. And so he said, look, when you fall short, come together, sacrifice a bull, let blood be spilled, let blood be shed. I'll, I'll, I'll give you forgiveness, but I'm just going to cover your sin. I'm not going to remove your sin. And, and then what happened when the law was in effect and, and when the law was taken over through Moses, then A.D., the year of our Lord, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so now all of a sudden, not that the law is obsolete because the law is still important, but the purpose of the law is, is, is not so that, so that we can gain God's favor or God's kindness. The purpose of the law is to help us realize we can't make it on our own. The purpose of the law is to point us to Jesus. James says the law is a schoolmaster to help us realize that we need a Savior. Without the law, without knowing that I shouldn't have a bad attitude or I shouldn't uh, judge people or that I shouldn't walk in unforgiveness or I shouldn't murder or I shouldn't commit adultery, if, if I don't know that, then, then I, I don't know that I need Jesus. So the purpose of the law is to, is, to, is to point us to Jesus, to let us know that we need a Savior, to let us know that we need a leader. But the, the problem with, I think, the majority of our problem in, in, in Christianity, in, 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 this, in our Western world, is that though we live in this grace, this era of grace, this, we live in this A.D. at the year of our Lord, we still have this B.C. mindset that says, well, if I do good enough, if I work hard enough, if I serve more, if I'm better than, then I'll earn God's favor. I'll, I'll, I'll deserve God's kindness. And, and, and Jesus said, no, that's not what it's about. I put the law into place so that you would realize you need a Savior. The law was not meant for, for okay, let me tell you this, Jesus, if Jesus would have said, for you to be a Christian, for you to go to heaven, you got to dunk a basketball on a 30-foot goal. All of us would go. That's crazy. I mean, I, I, I used to be able to get like an 8-foot goal. Now I can get like a 6-foot goal. And, and, I, and I can two-hand it on a 6-foot. Maybe you can do a 9-foot. LeBron James plays tomorrow. And one of the things I love about Christmas is there are five NBA games. And I might just watch every one of them. But you probably, it doesn't sound like you'll be watching them. But I'll watch a lot of them. And LeBron might be able to dunk on a 13-foot goal, but when, you, when, when, the, when, the, when the rule is you got to dunk on a 30, it doesn't matter if you get 6 or 13. We all fall very short. And the purpose of the law is not, not say, again, so we can earn God's favor, but it, can, it helps us realize we need a Savior. That, that's, that's, that's the grace of God. See, I, I grew up in the church. I... My dad grew up in the church. My granddad grew up in the church. I, I mean, I have, I, I didn't have, I mean, when the doors were open, I went to church. And even as a church girl, I had this mentality that I could earn God's favor. I mean, that's, that's how I thought, that I just got to be good enough and God would grace me. And so I made a list of rules that I had to keep. And some of my rules was I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. And I, I, I'm, I'm not, I chewed a couple times, but that one on my list, so I was okay. I wasn't going to date my friend's girlfriend. That, that was a no-no. That was on the list. I was going to respect authority. That was on the list. And then I had, uh, those are things I wasn't going to do. I had a list of things that I, I, were, I was going to do. I was going to go to church. I was going to serve somewhere in the church. I was going to give my money. I was going to, I was going to honor authority. And so my idea was, if I do enough of my good list and don't do as much as my bad list, 
then I'm going to be okay and, and I'm going to be all right. You know what that is? That's B.C. That's before Christ. That's living in an A.D. world but still having a B.C. mindset that I can work my way or earn my way or I can deserve my way into God's grace. And, and here's, what, here's what Jesus came for. You are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not, B.C., you had to work for it. A.D., you had to receive the grace of God. When the law came through Moses, you got to measure up. You got to meet this standard. You got to do good. You got to be better. You, you, you got to be better than, than you are right now. But when Jesus came, came grace and truth. What, what's the definition of grace? Thanks for asking. I'll tell you. It's the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. You, you, again, you can't earn. When uh, we were filling out, I've got two kids. One that's, I've got four kids. One that just finished college a year or two ago. Another one that's in college. And I remember filling out scholarship applications. And they would base the scholarship on merit, how smart you were, how athletic you were, how, lead, how great of a leader you were. If you deserved a scholarship, they'd give it. Or they gave it on need-based if you didn't have enough money. And we like to think, again, that our relationship with God is on merit, that, that we deserve it because we've done something. And in essence, we, we don't get grace because we deserve it. We get grace because we need it and we accept it and we receive it. It's the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Here's what Romans says, the Apostle Paul. And if they're saved by God's kindness, then it's not by their good works. Again, we live in an A.D. world, but we have a B.C. mindset. I've got to do good enough. If, if God's kindness and his, and his unmerited, undeserved, unearned grace is what saves us, then it has nothing to do with our works. For if it did, then God's wonderful kindness would not be what it really is. Well, what is it? It's free and it's undeserved. And listen, it, if, it, if it costs something, then it's not free. And if it's free, then it doesn't cost you anything. It, you can't have it both ways. If I give you a Christmas gift, it's free. But then on a, if I turn around and say, oh, you owe me $57 for that gift that I just got you, that, that's not a gift. Salvation, grace is a gift. Old Testament, under B.C., you had to, you had to meet some religion. You had to accomplish some rule. You had to, you had to measure up to some system. But under grace, you've got to accept. Knowing that you're undeserving, unmerited, it's unearned. You've got to receive the grace of Christ. This, I, I, like, I like to explain it like this. I don't know if you guys have heard of these guys, but, but this is Dick and Rick Hoyt. And, and they're, they're pretty famous now. They've, they've done uh, amazing things. But when Rick was 15 years old, when he, when he was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck, cut off his uh, oxygen flow for a period of time. And therefore, he... He's handicapped, has been like this since birth. But he was 15 years old. He found out they were doing a, a race uh, to raise money to help kids that were in wheelchairs like he was. And so he went to his dad and, and he said, Dad, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to run in this race. I want us to raise some money for this good cause. And Dick had never trained. He, he wasn't a runner. He wasn't, wasn't even much of an athlete. But, but he said he'd do it. And so so when he's 15 years old, they run in a 5K, and he pushes him in the wheelchair 3.1 miles, and they raise money for a good cause. Since that first race, they have ran in 72 marathons, 
255 triathlons. That means they swam 2.4 miles, biked 112 miles, and ran 26.2 miles. And when Dick swims, he pulls Rick in a basket. And when he cycles, he sits a Rick on the front seat uh, of the bike. And when he runs, he pushes him in his wheelchair. And, and, I, and I just tell you this story because when it comes to grace, you remember BC is I've got to work. I've got I've to me, measure up. I've got I've to do, do my part because that's what we are. I, I've got to create my own way. I've got to secure my destiny. I, I've got to lead my own path. When it comes to grace, you just, you, and this is the hard part, you got to get in the chair. You got to let, you got to let God push you and God lead you and God pull you. It, it's, it's, if anything, if any of us are deserving of anything, it's because of the grace and the goodness of God. And I, here, here's the problem. Here's the problem with grace. We would rather live in BC because at least when we work, we can, we can check lists off and, and we can measure ourselves and, and the problem with this, at the year of our Lord, this grace issue is that we don't want to get in the chair. We, we, don't, we don't want somebody else to control our destiny. We don't want to acknowledge our need. We don't want to admit that we need help. We want to be our own saviors. And when it comes to grace, you can't. Because there's nothing good that you've done that merit or earn or deserve your salvation, it's a, it's a work of God's grace. And I hope I'm being repetitive, repetitive but kind of purposefully because, because we're not in B.C. We are at the year of our Lord, but yet we still have this B.C. mindset. And I'm telling you, your, your righteousness is as filthy rags that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And if we, if we lean on our works, if we, if we lean on our goodness, we'll be judged by that, and the penalty for that is death. But if we will experience and receive and, 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 and walk in God's grace, then the result of that is eternal life. He, see, why? Why is grace so hard? Because it changes our focus from what I do to what Christ has done. And we don't like that. Because I got to be my own man and I got to make my own way. But when it comes to grace, you got to get in the chair. You got to say, God, your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I choose to, to surrender to you and to live by you and to experience your grace. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's not deserved. It's... It's just the goodness and the favor and the kindness of God. Here's another thing <clears throat> about grace. And I think many of us are missing out on it. One, because it changes the focus. But two, because it challenges our sense of fairness. And, and this grace thing, it's too easy. It's too cheap. What do you mean I got to get in a seat? What do you mean I don't have to work for it? What do you mean that it's undeserved, unearned, unmerited? And, and I can understand that. And, 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 and Jesus understood it. And so he told us a story in Matthew chapter 20. And he said that there was, a, there was a vineyard worker that had a great crop one year. And so great, it kind of snuck up on him, didn't realize how, how much he had. And it, it was the day of harvest, and, and he didn't have enough help. And so at 6 in the morning, he went to a little hangout where guys that needed day work would hang out there, and, and guys would come and get him. And so he said, hey, I need five guys to come help me. So they hopped in the back of his truck, and they went to the vineyard, and they began picking grapes or whatever you do in a vineyard and filling weeds and, and getting the harvest ready. And it comes to be 9 o'clock and the farmer goes, there ain't no way. I'm not going to make this. 
I got to get more guys. So he goes back to the place and he picks up five more and he brings them back. And at 12, he realizes the same thing. At three, he realizes the same thing. It's six o'clock at night. He's already been back four times. He says, I got to get more help. And so he goes one more time and he picks up these guys and he brings them back to the vineyard. He says, you got two more hours of sunlight work and, and do it. When he went at six, he promised the guys that he was going to hire that he'd give them a hundred dollars for their work. And so it's pay time now and everybody lines up and he, and he puts the guy that's been there the shortest amount of time to the one that's been there the longest amount, to the one that worked two hours, then the one that worked 12 hours, and he started paying them. And, and the first in line, they were, start, they were getting $100. And, 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 and man, they were bled two hours, 100 bucks. That's awesome. We're so, we're so grateful. And word started getting back to the guys at the end of the line that they were getting $100. So they're starting to think, man, they worked two hours and got 100 bucks. I'm going to work 12 hours. No telling what I'll get. And when it gets to them, they also get $100. And if that... If that strikes your sense of fairness, it does mine too. It just doesn't make sense. And one of them said, that's not fair. They got 100 bucks. We worked a lot harder. We only got $100. That's, and the landowner said, did I not promise you 100 bucks? Well, sure you did, but, but what? It's my money. I can pay what I want to who I want when I want. And they had to shut up. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's, it's, it's not fair. It's it's not based on how much you work. It's not, it's not, it's unearned. It's undeserved. It's, un, it's unmerited. Let me flesh it out in this way. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Stephen who was the first martyr for Christ. He died because he would not bow his knee or give in uh, to say that he wasn't a Christian. And this guy was just, I mean, he was a righteous guy uh, from, from the get-go. He loved Jesus. He served people. He honored his commitments. He walked in a way worthy of the Lord. And when the rocks were even flying at him, the last words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. And, and you know what? You know what we say? Oftentimes, be, because we say that guy's deserving of grace. He's, he's deserving of eternal life. If anybody earned it, it was Stephen. But then look at the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul we know the second half of his life, but the first half of his life was jacked up. He was killing people. He was destroying the church. He was anti-God. He was violent. He was hateful. He was vengeful. Halfway through his life, he gets born again. And after Christ, he does some incredible things for the Lord. And so, and so we're able to overlook the first half of his life because the second half he made up for it. He did more good than bad in the first So. So he is not as good as Stephen, but he's also deserving of God's grace. But then we, we get another Bible hero, and, and he had a terrible life his whole life. He, he is the guy beside Jesus hanging on the cross. And I want you to kind of picture the scene and get this idea in your mind. But chaos has broke out. The religious leaders are tell, telling Jesus, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. The, the soldiers are, are casting lots for his clothes. They're mocking him and making fun of him. And even one of the guys beside Jesus is saying, oh, you're not God's son. Who, you, you're not who you claim to be. And then out of the chaos and out of the confusion, the other guy on the other side, he's hanging on a cross. He goes, do you guys not fear God? This guy's on it. We, we deserve to be here. He, he's done nothing wrong. And then, he asked, and then he asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you go 
into your paradise. And I love this. And the Bible says, I love this because, well, I'll just tell you why I love it. He said, Jesus answered him. And you say, well, well sure, Jesus is going to answer. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He can't hardly breathe. To even get his breath, he has to press up on spikes on his feet to drive deeper and cause more pain. To answer somebody was a big deal. But Jesus answered him and said, son, today you'll be with me in paradise. That doesn't make sense. I understand Stephen. He deserves heaven. He deserves grace. I can even understand Paul. He made up for his wrongdoings. But this guy on the cross, he doesn't have any time. He, he, doesn't, he, he, he doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve it, friend. That's it's not fair. It's grace. And grace is the fairest way. Because when you think about grace and you, and you reflect on it, grace says everybody is invited. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Rich, poor, black, white, uh, righteous, unrighteous. Whoever calls upon. If you'll call, God will answer. If you'll say, Jesus, I need your grace, he'll respond by giving you his unmerited, undeserved, unearned, unearned kindness and favor of God. Everyone is invited. Everybody gets in the same way. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. We're not made right because we worked hard enough or good enough. We're made right because we trust Jesus and we can be saved in the same way. All of us, no matter who you are or what you've done. Well, Pastor, you don't know my past. I know God's grace. You don't know what I've done. I know God's grace. It's unearned. It's unmerited. It's, it's the favor. It's the kindness and the goodness of God. You, we, we don't live in B.C. We need to get out of that mindset. We live in the year of our Lord. We live after Christ came. We live after he died. He lived and died and resurrected. And we live in an era where he offers us his grace. His grace. My oldest son, Tyler, when he was two years old, we were at my grandma, his grandmother's, my mom's house. And he was upstairs and, and he was playing around and I hear this blood curling scream. And, and, and you know, kid number four, you don't move so fast. But kid number one, you're up there in a flash, and I get up there, and there's blood everywhere. He about uh, cut off the end of his toe, and so we wrap it up as quick as we can. We hop in the car. We rush into the emergency room. We, we get in there and fill out all that paperwork and get ready, and, 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 and we're standing in line, and finally our name is called, and Tyler's finally kind of calmed down. He's, he, I, he's, I think he's just wore himself out with all the screaming, and, and the nurse says, okay, Mr. Grant, I'll take it from here. And I said, what do you mean you'll take it from here? I'll take your son and we'll go back and fix him up. I'm, no, you're not taking my son. He's two years old. I'm going with him. No, you're not allowed back there. You don't want to go back there. That's not the best place for you to be. You need to stay out here. We're taking your son. And I, I just wouldn't, you know, I was causing some commotion and chaos. And I think they felt sorry for me. So the doctor came out and he said, sir, I'm going to let you come back. But I just want you to know you're not going to like this. And he said, you're not going to like this. And I thought, you're not, I'm not going to like the blood. And I said, I've had over 60 stitches in my body. I can handle this. It's not a big deal. I'm all right. I'm going back. And he goes, okay, you can go. But you're, I'm just telling you, you're not going to like this. And we get back there and he get them on the table and they unwrap it. And as they start unwrapping it, Tyler is screaming. He's going nuts. 
And he looks at me like, Dad, come on, man. You're supposed to be protecting me. What are you letting these people work on me? Who are all these women around me? Who's this man digging in my foot? And then he get out this needle. And it's not that big of a needle, but to a two-year-old, it's huge. And he starts screaming at the top of his lungs. And all, all he can say is, Daddy, stop it. Daddy, help. Daddy, help. For the next 90 minutes, I sit there holding my kid as they stitch up his foot. And all, I'm sweating. He's sweating. The doctor's sweating. All he's saying is, Daddy, help. I'm telling you, that doctor was right. I did not like it. It wrecked me. I so desperately wanted to take Tyler's place. I so bad wanted to get up on that table and say, operate on me, fix me, stitch me, put a needle in me. Don't do it to my boy. You know, that's a lot like what God did. There was, there was a, our problem was not a cut foot. Our problem was sin. And all of us have it. It's everybody's problem. It's a universal problem. And it's called sin. It, it's, not, it's called missing the mark or not measuring up. And sin causes a distance between us and God. And so something had to be done for that sin. And the only thing was somebody had to die. But it couldn't be anybody. It had to be a perfect somebody. And so God sent his son and Jesus came to earth. And, and he split B.C. and A.D. And he became in flesh and he died on a cross. And I got this feeling, I, this is not in scripture, but I think God is sitting on his throne in heaven. It's not, it's not portrayed just like this. It is in scripture, but I don't know if these are the details. And Jesus is on the cross, and you know what he says? He says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? You know what he's saying? Daddy, help me. Daddy, if there's another way, let it be. You know what I think happened? I think God got off his throne and looked over the balcony of heaven. And everything within him wanted to go and take his son's place. But then he looked into the future and he saw me and he saw you. And he saw without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. He saw that if Jesus didn't take my place on the cross, if Jesus didn't pay for my sin, I couldn't live for him. And so God, the Bible says that he does say this, that he turned his back and he, and he went back. And Jesus, Jesus died. So I can live, not because I deserved it, not because I've earned it, not because I've merited it, because it's his grace. It's the kindness. It's the favor. It's the goodness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And listen, when you understand God's grace, it will wreck you. I hear people say, well, don't preach about God's grace because that just gives people a license to sin. If grace is a license to sin, you don't understand God's grace. When you understand what he did for you, the price that he paid, the depth that he went, you'll not want to sin against him. You'll want to live for him. When I got a revelation of God's grace, my new mantra became, if Jesus thought I was worth dying for, he's worth living for. Listen, you know what we celebrate today? We celebrate the coming, the year of our Lord. We celebrate the greatest event in history that separated our calendar. But even more than important than that, it separates before Christ, keep the law, or experience grace. And here's my fear, that we're living in this world, but our mind is still in this world. 
And today, my job, what I'm trying to accomplish is to get you minds, bodies out of this world and get you over here to the year of our Lord so that you can experience God's grace, so that you can walk in God's love, so that you can know what it is to be under the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor and kindness of God. Well, okay, what do I do? You you trust in Jesus. Jesus, I realize that you came for my sin. And I receive that. I accept that. I get in the chair. I surrender to your will and to your way. I believe that you're the son of God. And, and, and with the help of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live for you from this day forward. Why don't you bow your heads and shut your eyes for just a moment. And maybe you're here today and you're not living for Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're not serving God. Maybe you're here today and and you realize now that you are in this AD world, but you still have this BC mindset. Your works are rubbish. Your works are no good. The only thing that can forgive you of your sins, the only thing that can secure your eternity is the grace of God. And the only way that you can experience God's grace is if you receive it. For by grace are we saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. And today he's offering it to you. And I'm just asking that you'll receive it. I want to pray for you, Lord. I thank you for your word today. And I I thank you for for just your goodness, God. I don't understand it. I, I don't doesn't even make sense that you would die for somebody like me, that you would that you would offer me this kind of gift. But God, I thank you and I've received it and I thank God for it. And there are those here today that need to receive the grace of God. And I pray that you'll give them the courage tonight and that you'll give them the heart tonight to receive from you. If, if you're here today and you, you need the grace of God, will you lift your hand real quickly? Heads bowed, eyes shut. Will you lift your hand? Thank you, guys. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? I need God's grace. I need Jesus to come to my life. Thanks, man. Anybody else? I need God's grace. Thank you, guys. I need God's grace today. I need God's grace today. Thank you, guys. Why don't you stand? Everybody, will you stand to your feet? There's, there's been multiple hands today, and, 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 and I, I don't want to do anything but to pray for you. I, I want to be, be kind of the... The hands that connect you, and that's Jesus. I, I want to just introduce you to Jesus so Jesus can connect you back to God. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to help lead you in a prayer. And th- this is what I would pray if I were you. I'd say, Jesus, I realize today I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I invite you into my life. I invite you to be my leader. And my Lord, Jesus saved me. Jesus transformed me. Jesus lead me. I get in the chair. I give you my life. I surrender to your will. Let me pray for you, Lord. For those that pray that prayer, I pray you seal it right now in the name of Jesus. That they would realize they are children of God. And that this would be the first day of the rest of their lives. That they, this wouldn't be the end but the beginning. That they would, they would begin to learn what it means to walk with you and serve you and to honor you and live for you. Lord, I pray that your grace would be upon them in, a, in an increasing manner. And the same God that saved them will change them by your goodness and your mercy.
Why don't you look up here with me, will you? If you, if you said yes to Jesus, it's the, it's the beginning, not the end. It, it, it's not like, okay, everything's done, I'm fine. No, God wants to do some things in your life now. He, he wants to rearrange your, uh, your, he just wants to do some wonderful things. Let us help on your way out. There's stations at both corners. We have Bibles and worship CDs and some next step guys. We would love to put those in your hand so that you can begin to, to, to live out this new walk with Christ. God, God's grace is great enough to save us and he's great enough to lead us. And that's my prayer. Be, before you leave, we got another service coming in just a few moments. I want to pray for you and then I'm going to dismiss you. Lord, again, I thank you for these that have given their hearts to you. And I pray that you'd lead them. Lord, I thank you for family and friends that will be gathering tonight and tomorrow. And I just pray your glory would rest in each of our homes. That, that we would give forgiveness. That there, we, would, we would break through the tension potentially. And that we would just experience the joy and the goodness of God. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting tonight. That are burned tonight. Maybe the first Christmas, it's a new normal, God. A lost loved one, a broken relationship. I pray that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, would guard their hearts and their minds tonight in Christ Jesus. Give them, give them the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the grace and the goodness of God. Lord, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the birth of your son. And we love you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.